This is the last week of our unhappy sermon series for we've been looking into uh, the story of Jesus in Matthew 18 where that he uh, tells the disciples to uh, become like children because if they don't they don't get to go to heaven so that's a pretty big statement a pretty big demand to say that unless we become like kids, we can't go to heaven. A lot of us want to go to heaven, but we want to go on our terms. Amen? Amen? We want to go with our ways or our will or our emotions or I want to do it my way. I think somebody wrote a song about that one time. But that can't be our mantra or our method to access heaven. We've got to do it Jesus' way. It's either his way or no way. But the beautiful part of that is that when we become like children, some of these traits that we've been speaking about allows us to be happy once again. So the whole purpose behind this series is to let us know that a lot of times we find ourselves unhappy, but actually Jesus wants us to be happy. That situations don't define us, that what others think of us doesn't define us, but his word defines us. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't. I no longer live, but He lives in me. When we become Christians, we become. The term we use most often is we are saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell as a place of eternal damnation, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes. But we're also saved from our humanity that we are living in in this existence currently. So salvation should change us. Mm -hmm. Yes, this means no, I don't believe you. This means I want to do it my way. I guess we're going to have to have some hand signals to figure out what people's thinking. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to be happy. Now turn around behind you and find somebody back there behind you and say, I want to be happy. Happy is a lot better than unhappy. But the picture for the series has got this child sitting over in the corner unhappy because of what? For those of you that have kids or that are currently children or maybe you got kids that are my age, why do they go sit in the corner 
And why do they do that? Whitney, you've got something to say. Because they didn't get their way. Has anyone ever had your child to do that? Oh, Ernie never had his to do that. She, it's probably because you always give her away, Ernie. Thanks for running her. So Leslie never had to pout in the corner because she just always got whatever. Ernie tells often about how that she had it time to know when dad's paycheck come one week because they both got paid every other week and then mom's paycheck come the next week so she knew who to be nice to that week because she knew payday was coming. We're not talking about me right now. Sorry. Moving on, moving on. But when we pout, that could be a trait of a childish ways. And Jesus said, unless you become like children, you'll no less enter into the kingdom of heaven. So that's one of the traits we shouldn't bring into our Christianity. How many's ever asked God and prayed to God and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and asked and ask others to pray and prayed again? And you still didn't get your way. Should we do this spiritually? That we go sit in a corner and say, God, I'm mad at you. I can't believe you're holding that good thing back from me. That toy that I seen in the aisle that just had flashing red lights. and It would have made me so happy if I'd have had that toy. Race car parts, that's awesome. I went ahead and ordered those, yeah. Wayne, we're getting closer to being back in business. Nothing wrong with a good race car part. Or hunting equipment. I haven't ate one piece of deer meat yet. I don't know what you're talking about. This is totally off topic of the biblical example I'm trying to present to the people of the Bridge Church. I'm just glad we don't have kids so we can do that stuff. Amen to that. Yeah, there we go. Now we got an amen out of Leslie. We're we're doing good now, batting a thousand. But all too often, I believe we do pout. And we're mad at God because there's something he doesn't give us that we think we need. When in all reality, if we'll think back through our childhood days of the things that I thought were important to me when I was a kid, I had no idea that mom and dad couldn't afford to get me the best of the best. And they would get me what they could so that they could keep food on the table. So when your childish way is that you don't know what you don't know until you find out you didn't know it. Is that true? You figure things out the older you get or you should. If you haven't yet, you need to. So Alex, when Aunt Amy holds good things back from you, and I know that's never happened that she climbed on you like a tree and said, Alex, that's wasteful. You're acting dumb like your Uncle Earl. 
rightfully so. Because she's trying to paint a good picture for you because it's more important to eat than have the toys. But toys are fun. We get it. And sometimes we think these things that we're going to get will make us happy. I need a new car. I need the other house. I need this. I need that. And when we get them, we believe that's going to make us happy. But in all reality, the more things you have, the more responsibility you have. And maintenance of things is tough. Because when you get that car, you have to maintain it. You have to do oil changes. You have to rotate the tires. You have to, it brings on more work. So the happiness you think it brings actually causes more work, which makes you more unhappy. So when we're asking God, to change us from the inside out and rearrange us and make us the person he desires for us to be, we need to quit asking for things and start asking for him. Because the more of him I have on the inside of me, the better I'll be to humanity that surrounds me. So this series we've talked about in week one, Curiosity, and how I, I talked about Curious George, and the awesome part of that, that was that as I was talking about a book that I had, that Howie had when we was kids, and I read and talked about Curious George, it was that week um, we went out to see Rick, and, and Rick was showing me uh, the house where he was at, and we was digging through some stuff, and a book was lying there, and guess what the book was? Curious George. If we hadn't just done a sermon about that, I don't know that I would have been as enthused about seeing a Curious George book. But because we speak about things and talk about things, it causes us to pay attention to those things. We should be curious. God wants us to be curious. He designed us to be curious. Week two, we talked about being in awe and wonder of God, that we would be just in amazement at his beauty, at his splendor, at his greatness, at how vast he is and how wide he is and how many places that we can find him. Last week, we talked about back talking. And how that God is asking us and challenging us to become like children, not in that we would do the bad things that we used to do, that we would learn and we would exist and not back talk. But today I want to talk about the finishing topic of this. a childhood trait that we all need to return to is a childhood trait of unadulterated love. 
pure love. Because kids, children, love because that's what they do. And the older we get, the more adulterated our love gets that we only love in return when we're loved. But Jesus upended the whole Jewish custom and the whole Jewish mindset of thinking whenever he told the Jews that you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But he tells them in the Sermon on the Mount to love your enemies. To do good to those who persecute you. And that type of love is not an easy love. But it is a pure love. The New Testament states that God is love. And as I'm talking about this unadulterated love, I want us to see that God wants us to love unconditionally. That it's unadulterated, that it's the purest form of love. Because when we're kids, we just don't understand things enough to decide not to love somebody. And you see those memes that when little bitty kids are around each other that they don't look and say, well, you're black or you're white or you're rich or you're poor. They don't put conditions on people of whether they're going to love them by conditions of the outward appearance of man. They just love each other. So the older we get, the more we become adulterated in our love that then we segregate ourselves and put ourselves in these groups and these clubs and these thought processes of who I can love or who I cannot love. And Jesus tells us to love everybody. Amen? We are to love, unadulterated love, everybody. And that's a really good catchy statement, but how is it acted out or how is it practiced in our daily life? Because it's easy to say that I love you as a person of the Bridge Church and I adore you, I long for good things to happen to you, I'm so happy when happiness happens inside the people of the Bridge. And we're out there with each other in the trenches of life and in connection groups and in the different things that we do as a church. And we get in these groups and they're getting ready to have the Back to Church event coming up in September. And we long for those things to, where we can do life together because it's so important that Jesus told the disciples to be there for each other. And we're carrying that out today and it's easy to love each other when we're alike. But all too often we'll find ourselves when we get so 
ingrained in our thought process that we look at others that are different than us or maybe even have a different doctrine or belief system than us that we would put them in a, a group and we don't love them the way we love you as the bridge person but we uh, what about that well they're catholic and i don't know if i can love them or not jesus says love them and when you get into the the world as a whole it would be really hard to walk up to somebody like Vladimir Putin and say, I love you. He's from an area that's different than us. He's not going to wave the American flag and say, God bless the USA. Why? Because he's not from here. So it's easy for us to not love people that are not like us. As we said last week, you don't have to train your kid to backtalk. Your kid automatically learns to backtalk. And most kids that I see, yes, they start out and say, Mama, so she says, I don't know this week, I don't know. Eric believed that he was saying his name. Crew's getting better at talking. But in all reality, most of the kids I see, some of the first words I hear them say is the word N-O. Do you have to teach them to say no? Go over there and be good. No. Go clean up your room. No. You didn't have to train them to do that. They were automatically ingrained in humanity to just say no. And not the way that Nancy Reagan said. So in that, you are automatically conditioned throughout your existence. The longer you live, the more conditioning humanity places on us. It's easier to not love. It's easier to find reasons to not love somebody. They're not worthy of it. They did this to me. They done that to me. They're not like me. They don't believe like me. They don't talk like me. They don't walk like me. Well, I'm sorry that the world isn't like you and perfect. Amen? I am not the picture of perfection. I want to be, I strive to be. Paul said that he, he strives for, for perfection. He, he leans into God. He really does lean in and study Scripture to show himself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul was doing those things. But he did not say that he was perfect. In Romans 7, he said, O wretched man that I am. And the more we get into our Christianity, the more we should become like Jesus and say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Because when Jesus was there and they came to him and it was a night or two before his crucifixion, he was sold out by one of his very own twelve disciples. And they come to get him, and he'd been sold for 30 pieces of silver. What did Jesus do? 
Did he fight? Did he talk about how bad they was? Peter did. Jesus didn't. Those things are tough. But guess what? Life is tough. And God is asking us today, if you want to be happy, begin to love unconditionally. Unmerited, unearned, unadulterated. Love like you've never loved before. Love so much that people get sick of you loving them that way. How can they love me? I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. I don't know that I can love like that. Yes, you can. Ask God to help you love like children love. And I was thinking about this, that childish ways. And there's, in Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to beg you just to go read Galatians chapter 4, but the beginning verses of Galatians 4 says this, Now I mean that the heir, H-E-I-R, as long as he is a minor is no different than a slave. Though he is the owner of everything... He is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So if a parent passes away, they can leave a will, last will and testament. And they can put in writing what they want for their kids. And they'll put in writing who they want to watch their kids or be the guardians or caretakers of their kids. And that kid inherits everything that the parent had left them. They own it all. But even though they own it, Paul is telling the Galatian church here that yes, the heir is one that owns everything. But even though they own it, they're not yet old enough to obtain it or possess it or have knowledge of it. And when they're in that state... They're no different than the slave of the household of that day, which actually meant a bond servant, somebody that chose to stay there and work in that house. So the kid doesn't know that he owns everything. He doesn't know that he's any different than the slave, the bond servant that is there keeping care of the house. He just loves people because he's a kid. Verse 3 says, so we were also, when we were minors, were enslaved under the basic forces of the world. So in our humanity, in our existence as a person, as a born human that's living and breathing and blood is flowing through our veins, the conditioning of the world is upon us. And our human nature begins to take process, to take where that we go through these seasons of life. And the older we get, the more programmed we are. Conditioned we are. And in that is slavery, is bondage. Because the world doesn't want the best for you. Do you know who the prince and the power of the air is according to the Bible? The enemy of your soul. Lucifer. The devil. 
He's about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When Paul is telling the church here in Galatia that you were once like that, you were enslaved under the basic forces of the world, he's saying humanity and the enemy of your soul is trying his very best to cause you not to inherit the kingdom of God. The devil don't want you to go to heaven because he's not going there. He's jealous that you have the ability today to sit in this place and decide for yourself, I want to go to heaven. I want to love like I've never loved before. I want these things that we're talking about. I want to be happy. Verse 4 says, But when the appropriate time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, which cries, Abba, Father. This word Abba is a word in the Greek. And it's only used two other times. In Scripture. And the first time is when Jesus is crying out and saying, Father, not my will but yours to be done. He says, Abba. The other time is in Romans chapter 8. Where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church and telling them that our hearts sometimes cries out when we don't even know how to pray. And we don't know what to ask for. And our heart is so broken and so just tore up by what's going on, the circumstances in our life, that we will cry out, our heart will cry, Abba, Father. Verse 7 says, so you're no longer a slave but a son, and if you are a son, then you're also heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods at all. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God... How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless basic forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them over again? You're observing religious days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that my work for you may have been in vain. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me because I've become like you. You have done me no wrong. But you know it was because of physical illness that I proclaimed the gospel to you. And through my physical condition put you to the test. You did not despise or reject me. Instead, you welcomed me as though I were an angel of God, as though I were Christ Jesus himself. Verse 15. Galatians 4:15. Where then is your sense of happiness? now Paul had went there had ministered had planted a church in Galatia he had saw people come to know Jesus he had taught them the biblical example of what Christianity is he had saw people's hearts become full he had saw them become happy and now whenever he gets away from there and he goes to the next town and plants another church he hears rumor that they're not all that happy anymore 
that they've enslaved themselves to their old way of living and taken upon themselves that they were going to earn their salvation. He says later on in the next chapter, Who has bewitched you? Where then is your sense of happiness now? How long has it been since you was truly happy, happy with your spiritual walk with God? book of Revelation says return to your first love. That's what we need to do. Return to our first love. When we come to Jesus and said, here I am, a broken mess in need of a Savior. I've tried to fix it all and I've messed everything up and I need your help. And he comes down and he lifts the burden off your shoulders and you're walking around on cloud nine. And it feels like a pure and adulterated love is flowing out of you everywhere you go. People's looking at you and say, what's different about you? What has happened to you? Paul asked that church, where is your happiness now? The Bible says that our love will wax cold. You ever lit a candle? Watch it burn. Becomes liquefied. Touch it and it moves, it jiggles. That candle burns and burns and burns. But when it gets to the bottom, and there's no more wax to protect the wick, what's it do? It burns out. When it burns out, what happens to that pliable movement of liquefied wax? It hardens, doesn't it? In Christianity, I'm telling you, I'm testifying to you. It's really, really, really easy the longer we're in church, the longer we're in our Christianity. And you that are here that maybe not, you haven't been saved all that long. This hasn't happened for you yet, but I assure you, you have to keep the protection around the wick to keep it burning. And that is the Spirit of God. Because the second you do away with his spirit or his protection in your life, your wax will grow cold. Your love will grow cold. Where is your happiness now? If you're not happy, you need to get happy. If you haven't been loving others, you need to love others. If your heart is in a condition where that you know that you have strayed too far from the shore, as the whole lighthouse song, 
sang in church so many years. I'm drifting too far from the shore. My wax has grown cold. My love has grown cold. I love it what the Apostle Paul says here that in his own physical condition and ailment as he come to the people of Galatia that they were so loved. They loved him so much. And he finishes this verse. Where's your happiness now? For I testify about you that if it were possible you would have pulled out your own eyes and given them to me. So he had a physical issue going on with his vision, the Apostle Paul. Later he writes, see how big a letters I'm writing to you. His vision in this natural sense had ailments. And he said, you loved me so much that you would have given me your very own eyes as a church of Galatia. And he goes on through this chapter 4 and there's many more verses and we've got to finish but I want to get down to the bottom of it. I think he's saying Abba. Verse 28. But you brothers and sisters are children of the promise like Isaac. But just as that time one born by natural descent persecuted the born according to the spirit, so it is now. So Isaac was born the child of the promise. But Abraham had messed up and he had created this other child that was persecuting the child that God promised, Ishmael. And it paints the picture all throughout the Bible to say that yes, there is good and evil forces in this world. Not everybody wants you to be happy. Not everybody wants what's best for you. But this one thing you can rest assured of, God knows what's best. Verse 30, but what does scripture say? Throw out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the son or the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. In the process of time, God sent forth his son that we would no longer be slaves, but that we would be free. We would be free to love like never before. I hope and pray as we leave this place and we understand through this sermon series of unhappiness that we will become a more happy people. As people of the bridge, that we will become in tune with what Scripture teaches us, that these childish traits, that Jesus wants us to return again to our first love. How many has been saved more than 20 years? Show of hands. More than 20 years. Several. How many is more than 10 years? Several. More than five years? How about more than one year? How awesome is that? There's a diversity here at the bridge. Old timers and new timers. But the old timers 
can attest to you what I'm saying is true. That in our Christianity, the farther we get into this thing, more likelihood it is that we can end up saying, well, I hate them. I despise them. Because the bitterness of our heart will cause us to lose that first love, that love them unconditionally, even though God know, we know God tells us to, it's harder to do it the farther we get. And what we need is some medicine. If you've got something wrong with you, if you've got a condition, how many knows we need medicine? There's a story in the Old Testament that a king was in bad shape. And the prophet done what God told him to do and the king ended up living because of a medicine that was given to him. Medicine can help. Proverbs seventeen twenty two says laughter is like medicine. But it also says that a broken spirit dries up the bones. We need to laugh. We need to condition ourselves. And if you can't laugh, and it's been a long time since you've laughed, and you're maybe going through some situations right now in your life, and hurt is all over the place, find a way to laugh. You may say, Pastor, that sounds easy for you to say, but I'm going through this. Now, I'm telling you as your pastor, I know what this verse says, that laughter is like a medicine. So if you need to look up some YouTube videos of some Christian comedians, do it. Learn to laugh again. If you're around kids very much at all, you're going to hear them either laugh or cry. That's the two options. And you just think it's so cute when they're so little and they giggle and you're just like, oh, they giggle. Then the crowd's like, oh, man, I can't believe that. I don't want to hear no more of that. You'd rather hear them giggle, wouldn't you? So now our Heavenly Father's up in heaven and we're kids because Paul, Paul tells us we're kids. He doesn't want you to cry all the time. He wants you to learn to laugh again. He wants you to learn to love again. So unless we become like children, we will know wise enter heaven. Dusty always tells jokes during his sermons, and I'm not going to go down that road. But I do encourage you, find a way to laugh again. Or that you laugh so much that people think you're childish. Because the minute you do that, you've met that mark that God is telling us, unless we become as kids. That the world would recognize something must be wrong with them. How are they laughing when they're dealing with that? Because I know who holds my future. God is perfecting us. One act 
one movement, one thought at a time. Learn to laugh again. Learn to love again. Bless if you'll play. And a good way to do this is tonight the youth group is going to be having a worship night out of the church at the building out there on 59, our church building. At 6 p.m., they're going to have a worship night, the youth group is. And if you've never attended a youth group, I can assure you this one thing when you go there. They laugh a lot. They giggle a lot. They're not a bunch of fuddy-duddies like us. Even in their teenage years, they still know how to laugh and have a good time. And when you go there this evening, I'm sure that You're going to get a witness. People love each other unconditionally. Love each other with their differences. And they just laugh together. If you don't have a way to laugh, go there tonight and learn to laugh. The youth group is inviting you. They don't want to do life alone. They'd love to have some adults in the room with them. And they asked me to put this down here and invite you this evening. 6 p.m. at the church. I promise you they'll love you. They'll greet you with a smile, and you'll have a good time. And they're doing this to serve you, because that's what their leaders teach them to do. That their youth group isn't just for themselves, but it's for us as a whole. And they encourage you to come. Right is God. So you're going to have to dig out some jokes today. Ella can. Ella can get them. Won't you stand with me? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I'm asking you to help us. As a group. 
to be happy, to have the joy of our salvation. That we would return to our first love. Put a smile back on our face, God. For all the pain and all the anguish and all the anxiety and fear and depression and all the things that the enemy cast upon us that he tries to get us to focus on. God, let us return to your word. That we would study, God, to see that your word causes us to be triumphed. That you say we're more than conquerors. Lord, as we read like in Philippians where it says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, let that become a reality in our heart. And God, when your scriptures tells us in Proverbs that we need to laugh, that laughter is like a medicine, God, help us to laugh more. Help us to love more. Help us to serve more. Don't let us sit in the corner and pout and be mad because we didn't get our way. But God, let us be so childish that it would dumbfound the world because they would see a group of people that are simply loving God and loving people. And Lord, that we would become Christ-like by learning together and serving others. Let laughter be in our week, this upcoming week. Help us to see, God, you in areas that we haven't saw you in some time. For those that's been saved for a longer time period, God, I pray today that you would awaken within them a newness of their faith. they would become happy once again in the joy of their salvation Lord let hate be far from us and let love be near us let our lives exemplify you to humanity help us to be the church that you've called us to be here at the bridge God I pray for the teenagers tonight as they leave worship service God, I pray your blessing over them. I pray your blessing over their service. Thank you for them serving the body as a whole. Let everything said and done be well-pleasing to you. pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says... Amen. Love God, love people. Be a blessing to somebody this week. Learn to laugh. You're dismissed.